The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. From the, the group. Sure. Yeah. Um, questions about any any of the instructions or about meditation practice or um, what you have in mind or what your interest is in in engaging with this topic specifically. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering about the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my question is, do you think that acted out aggression that is not like physically destructive, but around other people, is that, do you think that's harmful, like either to the person or to the people around them? And also my other question is, um, will your talk, uh, address not necessarily your own anger, but also being around other people's anger? Mm. Thank you. Um, yeah, we will. Um, we will get into. We will get into that. Um, you know, I was very in terms of acting out anger. Um, all the manifestations of anger. I was very struck by something that Thich Nhat Hanh once said, um, which is that we need to be. Normally we think about anger in its most destructive forms, but he says we, we need to be really careful in um, doing anything that, that um, is actually rehearsing anger um, in the sense that there are many different ways in which we might <clears throat> um, vent or other kind of lower grade levels expressions of anger. And he says... He's not on the side of suppression or something like that. And we're, we're as I'll talk about extensively, we're here to, to be very open, to not disavow anything that arises in us. Um, but he cautions that, that, um, that at, when we express anger, um, we need to be, be really careful that we're not actually rehearsing it and watering the seeds of aggression uh, this is a, it's a big question and, and I'll um, uh, we'll get into it in some detail yeah I have a lifelong conditioning of uh, when I'm hurt or something like that I have a knee-jerk reaction of anger and uh, it's out before I even know it consciously. So um, I would like some techniques to get that little split second uh, pause in there so that I can intervene before it's out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Gil yesterday was talking about the difference between impact, the impact of the world, and our response that the world has an impact on us, um, and then we have a response. Uh, 
but so often they happen so quickly that impact and response is almost tangled together. And what you're pointing to is is noticing the the impact, and uh, and I would say uh, taking good you know taking good care of the impact. That's um, we, we will we'll talk about that. What is it? What does it mean to uh, take good care of our anger? That's that's a question for us. The topic uh, really caught my attention, and I wanted to be here um, because there are times when I am consumed by anger, and I know very much what you mean about you know that instant response. But I have a a question about sort of the other side of Thich Nhat Hanh's idea of not rehearsing, which is that sometimes even when I'm not feeling that strong response, um, I can feel sort of a very, I can feel dark and um, away from all kinds of response out of sort of not expressing my anger or expressing my anger in a different way bottling it up yeah it doesn't i don't release it yeah it's just there unexpressed yeah 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 um great thank you for sharing that yeah we're we're finding what's the middle point between suppression and acting out um and there is there is a middle point it it i think takes um Finding that takes a lot of skill and patience and an incredible amount of vulnerability, in fact, to, to express anger in a non-aggressive way is an extremely vulnerable thing to do. It puts us in a very vulnerable place. We have to sort of acclimatize to that vulnerability of talking about anger without acting it out. And, and yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Thank you. Yeah, one one or two more. So I've only been practicing for about a year, and I could swear I'm angrier since I started mindfulness <laughs> than I was before. It's working. It's, oh, is yeah. that right? Is that what it is? <clears throat> so I was wondering if you could address the particular form of self anger, because now that I'm becoming more aware and more mindful, I'm seeing how much I've been responsible for where I am Mm. versus the stories that I used to tell myself about how I got to where I am. And this dismantling is leaving me really exposed and I'm angry at myself and I don't want to go forward with this person who I now see that I am. And so this anger is sort of turning in on myself. I was wondering if you could talk about what to do with that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I I'm sensitive to to the pain that you're you're describing, um, and just I don't know you, but from the way you're talking about it, it sounds like it's um, it's 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 a necessary pain. It's it's not the last word. That I know that. It's not the last word, but it it sounds like a necessary part of of the the process. I don't think we end up in the place of 
anger towards ourselves either, even though we come into a state of responsibility and radical accountability. Um, that, that radical accountability, I think, ultimately is compatible with love and care. Um, so, yeah, you know, I was joking when you said you're, it's, it's working, but it, it, it is, actually, I think. I think, yeah. Yeah, okay, one, one more, yeah. Um, is uh, anger uh, genetic that we inherited from parents or grandparents? So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I will talk, I'll, I'll touch on that tonight, actually. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, okay. Um. So I don't know if this is your experience, but my experience with Buddhism is that um, sometimes it can seem kind of depressing. Um, you know, my teacher um, joked that uh, that Buddhism has a serious PR problem, <laughs> and. Um, that's true in a sense, and, and I think it can sound depressing, but um, only when we hear it out of context, in a way. Only when we hear it with um, a particular ear. Um, I, I think it can, get, it can get heavy if picked up outside of the context of this um, really core teaching um, on self and not self. And so I just want to say a word about this because this is very relevant for how we talk about anger, how we relate to it, that if we feel like anger somehow points back to me, is a commentary on who we are in some deep sense, uh, this is really, it's difficult work. Um, it's painful. And I don't think it has to be. We are trying to be fully accountable, really responsible for the ways in which we suffer, for the ways in which our suffering spills out into the world. Uh, but at the same time, holding... the teaching that we are not our problems. You know, we are not our problems. And that insight um, is really a critical one on the path. Otherwise, the, this path of exploration, of working through, of digesting difficulties, it gets too heavy and it's too personal and it um, 
It short circuits our willingness to keep going, to go deeper, to see whatever is present in the heart. And so I wanted to start just with this reminder, we are not our problems. Uh, We are responsible for them. We take good care of them. That's our practice. We are not our problems. And you can understand this at many different uh, levels. Um, As we come into that more and more deeply, it will will open our hearts. It will open our hearts. Uh, So uh, we're talking about anger and we're talking about the first noble truth that there is suffering. um, But we can actually delight in these teachings, I think. Um, One of my teachers said that, that the first noble truth, if we hear that and it's like a real bummer, we're misunderstanding it. You know, the, the noble truth, there is suffering. If we hear that and it's depressing, there's something actually we're not getting about it. Because ultimately, this whole path exists for the reduction, elimination of suffering in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Uh, so so watch the the ear with which you hear this stuff. Um, pay some attention to the ways in which it becomes uh, uh, personal or feels heavy or burdensome uh, because that's that's not ultimately the the spirit of it. Uh, so maybe some of you are here because you think you're an angry person. Um, In the Dharma that gets reformulated as something like uh, anger arises frequently. We fixate it into I am an angry person. But this this the Buddha says is is an addition. So this is Ajahn Chah, a Thai forest teacher. Uh, About this mind, in truth, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's intrinsically pure. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's nature is none of these things. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Our practice is simply to see the original mind. We must train the mind to know these sense impressions and not get lost in them. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So this experience of anger um, is um, very much universal, very much universal. Um, 
you know, developmental psychologists have, uh, you know, studying infants across different cultures. Um, when an infant is obstructed from her or his toy, there's a very universal response, uh, something like anger, right? Um, and... In our evolutionary history, if you go back up the ladder of evolutionary time, um, anger predates love, which is a little depressing. (laughs) But, um, so if you go back to, you know, if you go all the way through chimps and, you know, everything, all the way back, you will see hatred higher up that ladder than love actually in reptiles and which don't clearly exhibit love as I've read from the evolutionary biologists. Um, this is a deep, deep habit. Uh, but one of the curious points to observe is that uh, just because our evolutionary history has conserved this habit of anger does not mean that it works for us. Evolutionary pressure has a sort of its own goals, and our deep happiness is not one of them. Actually. So in many respects, we can say anger is natural. It's natural, and we don't have to blame ourselves for it. Uh, But we also need to take a very clear-eyed gaze at what it is and how it functions and how it compromises our our well-being. And so tonight I want to set some of the the context for for, um, discussing this. Um, important to say that um, anger has its uses um, for sure. The Dalai Lama who's been quite clear about the destructive impacts of anger and himself has been um, at the receiving end of uh, the the horrors of of anger and hatred, uh, acknowledges that um, there are times, perhaps, when anger is helpful, skillful, and I, I think primarily, in my mind. Uh, the response to injustice, oppression, uh, the the urgency around social change, I think is often militated by some sense of anger or outrage. And that is, um, that can be a helpful starting point. I don't think anger is ever the last word. It's never the last word. But there may be times in which anger can be helpful in motivating some skillful intervention or behavior. Um, We're, of course, not wrong for having the feeling. And 
these teachings, I think, can be twisted in ways that we get the sense that we're doing something wrong, that anger is arising, or that we, um, it means something important about us. And I, I think for many of us, anger is a real, it's a developmental phase that we need to pass through in a way. We need to come to terms with our own habits of anger, our own objects of anger. I remember a, um, in the past I had done, you know, uh, conducted therapy and there was one client who was um, very, uh, really a very hesitant kind of person, really so walked very gingerly in the world, we could say. But she had a lot of anger, actually. And uh, over the course of our our uh, time together, um, which was was good, I, eventually I, my internship was up, and I had to leave, and I had to end the the treatment prematurely. And she was understandably quite angry, and uh, and I remember when we were sort of processing this and saying goodbyes of sorts over a course of a couple of weeks, I remember she, uh, I knew she was angry and she, but she didn't say it. And then eventually she said, you know, she kind of lashed out a bit and was expressed some real anger with me. And I remember feeling so delighted. It was just like I had to conceal the joy that uh, filled me because I knew that actually this was totally appropriate and an important um, moment for her, an important uh, a need to express because she had been so far on the extreme of the suppression side that this uh, feeling it not leapfrogging over it, not becoming spiritual about anger or something, that actually feeling it and expressing it, the courage and vulnerability of expressing that in some way was was, um, healing for her. And so in each of our lives, we can look for the places in which um, anger is informing us about something we need to share. Um, something that needs to be digested, something that needs to be addressed in, in our past, in our hearts. Uh, it can be really useful in this way. Uh, but... Uh, Anger, um, as I was saying, is is never the last word. It's the starting point. Sometimes if I'm quite frustrated with something, uh, it can be helpful for me to, to speak about it with somebody, right? To share with somebody close, loved one. Um, and part of what I try to do is speak about it in ways that feel true and real. Um, but I'm 
also trying to listen to the holes in the logic of my anger. There are always holes in the logic of our anger. The argument that we construct, um, we have to learn to listen to that in a way, to hear the holes in the logic. Because uh, as I'll be sharing about anger, anger always leaves something out. There's always the seed of delusion in anger. And we need to see this for ourselves and, and really uh, come to trust that. Because part of the problem of anger is its seductive power. Um, when we're angry, we really think we have the clearest vision ever. Right? We, we sort of like all of a sudden feel like we have like some God's eye view of things. And it's just like, this is the seductive power of anger. Uh, and we need to, to at, at points in our lives, just appreciate like there is delusion here. We need, that needs to really sink into the bones. There's... There may be some clarity here, but it's mixed up with delusion. And anger is never the last word. So we uh, begin by really establishing anger as, as, a, as a problem, as a spiritual issue worthy of our attention. Uh, from the interpersonal in our relationships and families and friendships and colleagues, all the way from that to the international scene, right? In, in, in uh, so much of our history is really, we could say, the history of, of anger and hatred You know, and I, I was reading uh, or hearing about um, Boston today and um, it's one of the people perf- you know performing CPR on one of the women who who died and uh, you know and I don't think hatred explains all acts of violence of that kind. I don't think it's there, I think there are many factors at play in that kind of violence. But we could say that anger and hatred are, are almost invariably a part of it. They're there in the most painful periods of our history. They're there. And so from the small sufferings in our own lives to the, you know the international historical scale this is this is a this needs our love and attention shanti deva uh, kind of tibetan saint um, had this classic line about anger it's it's in a chapter that uh, on patience actually and uh, 
Shanti Deva. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, this isn't my tradition, but um, but this one text is quite powerful, um, and he has a way of putting things very forcefully. And what one commentator, Pema Chodron, said on, on this book um, was that. Um, it sound she envisioned that Shanti Deva might be giving himself a little bit of a pep talk um, because anger might have been an issue for him. So this is what he says: Good works gathered in a thousand ages, such as deeds of generosity or offerings to the blissful ones, a single flash of anger shatters them. No evil is there similar to anger, no austerity to be compared with patience. Steep yourself, therefore, in patience, in all ways, urgently and with zeal. So this may be slightly jarring language, uh, Something that does resonate with me is that uh, the way that our expressions of anger do um, kind of erode trust in relationships. That that I I want to provide a sense of safety and security to the people I'm with and the people that I care for and love. I, I want to be really safe for them. And uh, my anger can erode that safety. Um, unskillful expressions of anger can erode that safety. And so for me, when I see that, that phrase, I really, it moves me to, to try to make this a, a, a real part of my practice so that I can offer a more and more abiding sense of safety to people. I think we all know maybe those beings um, where there's a sense of uh, this person really does not want to do harm, does not want to harm me. And the kind of uh, ease that we can find in the presence of people like that, uh, quite powerful. So, the question is, um, you know, who's going to do this work? Who, who's going to take um, some stand against the destructive impacts of, of, of anger? I, I think uh, we're in a good position to do that as practitioners. We're in a good position. If 
Here's the Dalai Lama. Um, Generally speaking, there are many different kinds of afflictive emotions such as conceit, arrogance, jealousy, desire, lust, and closed-mindedness. But out of all of these, hatred and anger are considered to be the greatest problems because they are the greatest obstacles to developing compassion and altruism, and they destroy one's virtue and calmness of mind. The Buddha says that... Uh, I'm, I'm actually, just as I read these quotes, I'm struck by the strength of them. I feel a little, um, have to be a lot of footnotes to this. Uh, like the first 10 minutes of the talk are kind of footnotes to the strength of this language. Uh, because uh, just easy to sort of import a moralistic framework around anger. And the Dharma is not, so, it's not really um, much less focused on right and wrong and much more focused on suffering and freedom from suffering. That's really the guiding distinction in all of this. So just be, be mindful of your own, the ways in which your mind hears these teachings, picking them up as you know, grading ourselves or, you know, checking ourselves off as this or that. Uh, The distinction that ultimately guides us is between suffering and freedom from suffering. The Buddha, an angry person is as if blind, conquered by anger, one is in a mass of darkness. Uh, And even goes so far as to say, you know, um, Buddha, what is the one thing whose killing you approve? Yeah, that's a pretty, that's not really Buddha type language. What's the one, what's, what do you approve of killing, right? We all know the first precept of not doing harm, of not killing. Uh, what's the one thing whose killing you approve? And as the sutta, the story goes, the Buddha says, anger is the one thing whose killing I approve with its honeyed tip and poisoned root. With its honeyed tip and poisoned root. This is alluding, of course, to the the um, that seductive power of the angry mind state. Um, and for each of us, um, we can actually explore directly, like what is it, what is it like to be angry? What is it actually like? The Dharma always starts with simple, direct knowing. Not something abstract, just simple, direct knowing. What is this like? Um, And it's said to be like um, picking up a a burning coal to throw at somebody, right? Burned, right? Um, That 
is a little harder to see in some ways, to, to connect with the burning, um, because it's like the anger makes a certain deal with us. And the anger says, if you lash out in one way or another, this very uncomfortable feeling will go away. I'll leave you alone. Right? That there is that sense of, there's some relief, right? When we act out and it's like we've accepted the bargain of that anger's made to us. It's harder to to see actually the depth of pain in anger, just how much it hurts, um, because there there is the relief that comes when we do something about it, uh, when we act it out in some way, or act it in in some way. So part of what we're learning to actually see is this is, uh, uh, it feels like this. Anger feels like this. And uh, it, is, it is a burden on the heart. So um, we uh, learn to actually uh, appreciate this as not so much about the object out there, but part of this move towards um, radical accountability is appreciating that there may be something justifiably wrong out there that elicited the anger initially, um, but that it's always a dynamic between something happening and the seeds of anger within we could say. Um, The movement of anger is always towards the problem is outside of me. Right? That's, That's the movement towards anger. It's anger always has an object and something that that's the problem. Now, I'm not being totally dismissive of saying like, oh, whatever's going on in one's life, whatever your neighbor is doing, you know, is like totally cool or something. Or whatever our country, another country is doing, is, uh, it's, this is not um, a pr- promoting like complete passivity or something like that. We can appreciate what's happening in the world, but in the the starting point for working with anger is appreciating our own uh, that that the seeds of our own anger have been stimulated and uh, ultimately this is where the work happens this is where the suffering arises and this is where the suffering collapses diminishes fades away So in the, in the coming weeks, um, we'll do um, look at anger and, and strategies for dealing with it in a number of different ways. Um, 
uh, one uh, for next week, what what we'll spend time doing um, is breaking anger into its component parts. So, you know, the Buddha was such a, just a kind of a genius because uh, experience in itself is very bewildering and very intense. And if you just ask somebody on the street, you know, like, what is experience? They would they would think you were crazy or not, certainly not know how to answer that, right? Like, what is, what is it like to be human? I know I would not have, I don't know what I would have said before I started practicing. I, would have, I probably would have used some hand gesture and been like, well, it's, I don't know, it's kind of intense and uh, uh, there are things in the world and me and, I, you know. <laughs> but I kind of, I, just like, I don't know. We get this really careful map in Buddhist psychology, uh, different ways of cutting up experience, different ways of, uh, of untangling the strands of our experience. And problems arise, anger being one of them, problems arise in the tangle of experience, the tangle of different strands of experience, we could say, the tangle most notably, of thought and feeling. That when these get tangled together, we can get overwhelmed and they like play off one another, ping-ponging back and forth. Thought, feeling, thought, feeling, reinforcing each other, building to a kind of crescendo where we feel we need to do something. This happens very quickly when we're in a rage. Uh, We're learning to actually begin to untangle the strands of experience. And next week, for the meditation practice, I'll, I'll give some, make some distinctions between mental images internal talk, and um, emotional type body sensations, which as three come together and tangle to create the urgency behind anger. So... We'll practice this on our meditation seats. And, uh, and then this, these are skills that generalize for how we relate to anger in, in our lives generally. And, and I would say all intense experience um, becomes much more manageable when... Uh, when we actually can get clear and mindful on the different components of, of data that create experience. 
So we'll do this and we'll um, uh, spend some time reflecting on these, these natural qualities of the heart that are thought to be kind of antidotes to the uh, anger. Um, what that quote from Ajahn Chah was alluding to perhaps is, is what, what's in the heart when we stop manipulating experience? What's left when we really try to, uh, when we really leave life alone? Many beautiful qualities in the heart. And, and last, we'll, we'll look um, at the ways in which our fixation on who we are the ways in which our identity um, makes us more and more vulnerable to anger, the ways in which how we, we guard and monitor our sense of self mobilizes anger, because the world is an ego threat, right? It just, it's ego threatening, right? And so if we feel like um, there's someone in here that, that needs, uh, that we need to guard, some image of self that needs to be guarded, it uh, leads to anger. So some of the, the themes for the uh, next couple weeks and... Perhaps for for this week, um, pay bring some bring some mindfulness to the experience of of anger. Everything from minor irritation to really intense feeling. Um, treat it in uh, uh, as as a part of as a part of practice in an open hearted way, with the same curiosity we bring to the breath. Um, the same care we bring to uh, a child who's suffering. So, we just, um, you don't have to change posture, but let's just sit for a moment. Whatever goodness is in the room here tonight together, may this goodness remind each of you of your own goodness.
remind each of you that something in the heart deeply longs not to do harm to ourselves or others. And we can honor this, bow to this, May our goodness be a benefit for all that we encounter. May whatever ease and freedom and joy and peace that is ours, may this spread into the lives of all we touch. Thank you for your uh, your attention. Nice to be with you.